You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into episode 32 of From the Braves booth. This time we're coming to you from Fenway Park in Boston. Great to have you with us alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer Jonathan Chaddock will be joining us here in a little while. Ben Ingram here with you. Beautiful day here in Boston. It really was interesting last night. It had been smoking hot on our off day here and yesterday. And then, Joe, about the fifth inning of the ball game, the wind kicked up and the temps dropped about 20 degrees, and it's in the 70s right now. We might have temperatures in the 60s tonight at August. Pretty exciting, huh? It I, is. I mean, it's an exciting day for a lot of different reasons, but the weather is one of them. Uh, it's kind of sad, but it is uh, August in New England, let's say, and they've had a horrible heat wave up here. They've got a reward today. It's supposed to last for a couple of days. Speaking of rewards, I was just thinking about this a little while ago. 24 hours ago, Vaughn Grissom was in the lineup with a double-A ball club playing in Sevierville, Tennessee. And now, just a little while ago, he was doing drills with a wash here at Fenway Park. Man, what a what a change that is. That's that's not a step up. That is a uh, that is just a leap. Uh, it's amazing how it can happen and how quickly it can happen in baseball. And were it not for the injury to Orlando Arcia, unfortunately, he wouldn't be here. But there was a need, and it just shows you, and it, it is repeated to the guys in the minor leagues over and over again. You never know who's watching. You never know what might happen. Play hard every single night, and good things might happen. And it certainly did for Vaughn Grissom. I mean, every single day, those guys are one day away. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. And you hate for it to come by way of an injury, but that's how the game goes. And we saw that with Orlando Arcia. And you needed an able body, and you get one with Vaughn Grissom. Well, it starts when you get to double A. When you get to double A, you know you are close. And, uh, you're, you're in the suburbs, let's say, and you could get a call at any time if you're playing well, and apparently he was. His offensive numbers are just off the charts, unbelievably good that we'll get into a little later. But uh, I, I go back to the excitement today of the weather, of Von Grissom, of Kirby Yates. This is a great day for the Braves, and I'm excited for the game to start. Yeah, me as well. And, and you're coming off a win last night. You needed a win really bad. I don't care how it came. I don't care if it was a blowout or you, you played 20 innings. You just had to get a win. You got punched in the mouth in New York, plain mm-hmm. and simple. Uh, mm-hmm. Nose bloodied, and they, they, made a, they sent a message. You didn't like it. But the good news is you still got about 50 games to go. You got those guys coming to your place. And it, and it really, in my mind, put you in place for where you are and what you need to do the rest of the way. Yeah, and the Braves can play better than they played in New York. I don't know that New York can play any better than that. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have to have a little bit of a drop-off. The Braves will uh, play better. Last night they really played well offensively, especially with two outs. They had some clutch hitting. And that at-bat by Dansby in the eighth inning was just amazing to get a run in. Uh, but uh, the Braves can play better. Last night was not Charlie's best night. So let's let's just keep trying to get this all massaged together where the hitting and the pitching and the defense all come together for this final run. Got this final game in Boston, and then uh, we've got an off day in Miami tomorrow, and then four games in three days against the Marlins before we come home and see the Mets. So you've got time to win some games and get some momentum going before we go into that series. And I don't want to look too far ahead because you still have the Red Sox and the Marlins to go. But you'd go into that series, hopefully with some momentum, knowing you need to take three out of four better, don't you? I mean, yeah. you, you, get, yeah. you, you split or worse, I think the division goes to the Mets. Well, you just you hit it on the head, uh, some momentum. 
Uh, win tonight against Boston. Go to Miami. You got four games down there. Take care of business down there so that you're on, you're feeling good about the way you're playing going into that New York ser- series. If things don't go right tonight, they don't go right in Miami, you're going to kind of be on your heels going into that four-game set against New York, and that's not a good thing. They're, they're too good to feel that way when you go play them. Looking back on that series in New York, what's your takeaway on what the Mets are and uh, – uh, where they're different from previous seasons? Uh, you start with their manager. They're different there, and he's a great leader and a tremendous in-game manager, I feel, in Buck Walter, He's a big difference maker for them. The personnel is a little different than it's been in the past, uh, and um, the moves they made to bring in some veteran players. They're more experienced, and they have some guys that have been in the postseason. I think that makes them a tougher ball club mentally. Uh, pitching wise, they're off the charts. I don't. There's nobody in baseball that can compare uh, for their. You know, if you want to go one through five, and yeah. then and then you go six and seven, who might be on the injured list and available. Uh, there's nobody that can touch them that way. Uh, their closers better. Uh, Diaz got off to a bad start with them a couple of years ago, but now he's arguably the best in baseball. So they're a good team. They put the ball in play. They can run a little bit, and they're aggressive. So as long as Buck can keep their nose to the grindstone in terms of playing hard and being focused on on the ring, the brass ring. They're going to be tough to beat. In order to beat them and win the division for the Braves, does that start on the mound? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, offensively, I mean, they, get, they didn't get blown out in right. any of the games in New York. They uh-huh. were all close games, and, and if they were getting blown out, if it was 5 to nothing as it was in one game – uh, or six to one, or whatever it might have been in another game. The Braves made comebacks. You know, they they got within uh, maybe a batter of having the tying run come to the plate. Yeah. So it wasn't like they got blown out. So I'm not that concerned about the offense with this asterisk, and that is they got to deal with those studs the they've got. Scherzer, you know, they yeah. got to figure out a way to make some adjustments against those guys and get some runs across. But it starts with Atlanta's pitching, and I didn't think Kyle Wright had the look that he's had all year on the mound. He, he didn't look like he was comfortable on the mound. He didn't have a good outing, gave up four home runs uh-huh. of all things. Uh, you know, Ian Anderson is now not on the roster, but he might be by then. Who knows? Right. Uh, hopefully they can get him going again. So the guys are going to have to pitch a little better and hope that the breaks don't go as strongly toward the Mets as they did in that series in New York. Yeah, I, I think it was definitely a way to – uh, look at yourself against a measuring stick and see where you are right now. And, there, and there's no time to panic. I don't think you panic. You have plenty of time left to go. And if you can't win the division, find a way to get in. And we learned that last year. You get in. Anything can happen. Now, you want to win the division, and you still have a crack at that. You still look at this division as if it's yours because the Braves have won it four years in a row, and they're the defending world champions, and there's no other way to look at that. And, and until the Mets are, are there at the very end of it all, mm-hmm. then uh, maybe they're the team to beat then. But the Braves are still the team to beat because they're the defending champions in yeah. my mind. To, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ, as uh, Ric Flair would say. And, um, woo, uh, <laughs> the, there's a lot of pride in winning the division. Uh, that is a message to everybody that we're still here and we're still the king of the, the hill here in the National League East. There's a lot of pride in that. There's a lot of confidence that goes with that when you go into the postseason that you've won it over 162. But like you said, get in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Get in. 
Uh, preferably, if you don't win the division, preferably it's the first wild card because then you get to play another wild card team and all the games, best two out of three, right? Right. All those games would be played at Truist Park. Right. Every one of them. You don't have to go on the road. That's a huge advantage, Yeah, that'd go a long way. I mean, and thinking about what the Braves did at home in the postseason last year, yeah. you have that kind of an advantage. Uh, your ballpark, your crowd, and uh, you got to at least accomplish that. Yeah. But uh, And I think this team will. I really do. And not ready to give up on the division yet. Obviously, that was a blow in New York. You still have time. we got to get after it here in these final 50-some-odd games left to be played. Let's focus our attention quickly before we get into the question section of our show on where we're sitting right now and how much fun this is to broadcast games here. We, we sat here last night. We watched a great game. Braves won it. Here we are at a ballpark that's been around since 1912. I know this – is this your favorite ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. So, so to come here, and I don't care if you've been here a hundred times. I mean, this never gets old, does yeah, it? Yeah, it was my favorite park to play in too. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a great challenge, as any outfielder would tell you. But I, I love playing here because of the history here, and because I was a old school guy. Um, I, I, I loved coming here. The fans might be kind of tough at times, but they were good to me. And uh, there's something to be said for any major leaguer who looks at any history of the game to realize you're playing on the same grounds within the same walls as, as Ted Williams, as Tony Conigliero, as Carl Yastrzemski, you know, and the great Yankees that came through here and played here. It's, yeah. a, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling when you're on the field here. Yeah, it sure is. It really is. And we, we got on the plane uh, coming here, and you and I were talking about that, and it's not just limited to the field. I mean, I think about it, any broadcaster in the history of our game Mm-hmm. They worked here. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many greats up here, down there, and uh, thinking about how our country has changed since 1912 in terms of uh, fans coming in and their their clothing and the styles and all that, but they're still coming to the same place to watch the same game. I think that's amazing. I, that's why when you're coming to the park and you're looking at the exterior of this stadium and the red brick and the facade all the way around and the arches and what have you, that has never changed. Yeah. That's been the same. They have made uh, adjustments inside the ballpark for seating, of course, through uh, what it turns out through the century, yeah. uh, century plus, uh, and to the confines of the wall out there, building seats up on top of the fence and what have you. But the outside, for the most part, still looks the same. And uh, if you took away all of the modern construction and shopping areas – on the outside, if you took that away, it'd still look the same on yeah. the outside. It's so funny to me seeing the the little uh, charming aspects of this ballpark. I think about some of the seats that are behind columns down there. Look at the seats, Joe, out there in center field under the video board. If you sat there and looked straight ahead, you're facing the right field foul pole. Yeah. you got to turn your head yeah. to the side to see the plate. Yeah. Um, and, and I love it. And I, I love sitting in our perch up top and being able to see everything. Well, I, last night I started to say something about this, and I, I didn't get it in. Such a good game. But you mentioned the, the pillars. Uh, I'm looking right now at the seats along the left field line, and the pillar is the pillars are recessed back away from the playing field to hold up what amounts to the second and the third deck. And I kind of say that tongue in cheek; they're not that high, but it, it proves that you can still play in a stadium that has pillars, and people will still come. Yeah. And what that does, it enables the uh, design people, the architects, 
to bring the upper levels closer to the field. Now then, the people who are sitting up in the top row of the lower bowl, do they get blocked off from a pop fly? Yeah, they do. Are they going to get blocked off once in a while from a ground ball uh, because of a pillar? Yeah. You know what you do? You lean. Yeah. <laughs> you lean around that pillar a little bit. I mean, sometimes we've got to do that. Sure. You know, when we were in New York, I couldn't see the right I field. I couldn't see the right field. I had, I had to lean back to look through the booth next to us yeah. so I could see what was going on. My point is this. You can build an old-fashioned stadium and still have um, the modern amenities and still look the part like a Fenway Park. Yeah, and, and it makes me, and this is, you know, no point in complaining about this, but I hate that they couldn't do the same thing for Tiger Stadium and Comiskey oh. Park and old Yankee Stadium. I know. And keep the history of those places. Continue to modernize the place where you have to and update it so fans can come in and be comfortable. But keep the structure. Keep the ballpark. Yeah. Keep that history. And I hate we don't have those yards anymore. Yeah, I would say more so with Tiger Stadium than even Comiskey Park. Comiskey uh, Park opened in 1910, July 4th, 1910. Uh, it was in rough shape. It was getting to crumble a little bit. And I can't speak to the physical condition of Tiger Stadium. I, I don't know. Uh, I know it's going to cost the city a ton of money to bring it up to standards, let's say, before they built Comerica Park. But Comerica Park, Tiger Stadium, yeah, there's no comparison. And uh, I really miss that place. It, it was a wonderful yard. Those places would have been worth it. I mean, remember, remember when we were at Wrigley in June – and you and I discovered what they had to do to update that ballpark with a construction. And, and it was a major project. Massive. Massive. Mm -hmm. But they knew it was worth it. Yeah. They knew if you move the Cubs out of Wrigley Field, you, yeah. you lose so much. Yeah. And uh, it'd be the same thing for these guys. If these guys left here, they'd be just another baseball team, in my opinion. Uh, I, I know. And um, the charm of these old ballparks and the history that we've already been talking about means so much to baseball fans, I think, to know that they're watching a game, uh, as would be the case in Detroit where Ty Cobb played, or uh, on and on and on. We could list those guys. Uh, it's just a shame that those places are gone, that they weren't able to preserve them. Thank goodness we still have Fenway and Wrigley as a reminder. And hopefully always, hopefully we always do, because it's, um, it's something to come here. J.C. and I came over here a little bit early today, went inside the monster, um, went through the tunnel that goes from the Braves clubhouse to the third base dugout, and I swear ghosts live in there, man. I swear they do. Were their light bulbs working? Yeah, they were working. Because those light bulbs, they've replaced those things a million times. <laughs> there have been a few bats taken yeah. to those light bulbs. <laughs> yeah, so cool. <laughs> but there, there are ghosts in that tunnel, and it's dank and damp, and it's kind of like you can see the light at the end of it, so you kind of pick your step up a little bit just to get through yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Man, every I mean, going this going back to Babe Ruth, and I mean, and thinking all the way up to present day, Mike yeah. Trout's walked through there, George Brett's walked through there. Yeah, I mean, just name after anybody who's been a star in the American League, certainly, and for the last twenty five years in baseball with interleague play has walked through there, and that's that's awesome. All right, but both dugouts too, by the way, are tiny. Yeah, they're not deep at all. They've break they've brought a few seats out into the playing field. I'll say onto the warning track where they've got some benches outside the old bench uh, that's covered by the roof of the dugout. But they are tiny, and come September, you don't want to be here 
with expanded rosters. <laughs> yeah. It is horrible. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we've we got to cut our show shorter than we normally do today by about 10 to 15 minutes because I've got SNIT coming up in here about 45 minutes. Uh, so I'll dive right into the questions. Our email address, bravesbooth at gmail.com, bravesbooth at gmail.com. JC, you on with us now? I'm here. All right. First question is for Jonathan. Did you save the day for your wife's birthday? That's from Rhonda. Of course, your initial plan was at a restaurant that ended up being closed on Monday, and you didn't know until 24 hours before that your reservation was not going to be uh, held there for you. So did you figure it out? We did figure it out. Uh, You know, I made a reservation like six weeks ago, Big planner. We're going to this fantastic restaurant. Made a reservation for a Monday night at 7 p.m. And the day before, even though I made the reservation six weeks ago, the restaurant did call and say, I don't know how you made that reservation because we're not open on Monday. So I had to go to plan B. We went to the north end. We had a fantastic dinner, and it was all good. So, yes, it did work out. Way to go. Yeah, Save the nice day. Job. Yeah. This is from Marcia. Joe, what time will you and your Speedo be on the beach in Miami tomorrow? Well, Marcia, tomorrow's not a good day for beach wear. Uh, we get in at like 4 a.m., 4.30, something like that, to the hotel. It's an off day. Uh, there's a major, major league golf game set up for 1 p.m. Uh, myself, Jay Chad, Frankie, uh, the, the translator, and a friend of mine from St. Simons are going to tee it up. So most of the beach time will be spent actually out on the golf course. But sometime Friday around 11 a.m., you may, <laughs> you may want to come out with your camera. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Uh, I'll make sure I get my beach time finished about 1045. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Because yeah. it'll get really popular out there. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. That's a great place to have an off day. And uh, while you guys are playing golf, I'm going to go check out the pool and uh, and uh, enjoy that. By the way, um, let's see. Hey, guys, love the podcast and haven't missed one since becoming a new Braves fan. This is from Tim Bowser. You remember Tim when we were in D.C. and got our tour uh, at Arlington? And he says, my question has to do with the recent passing of Vin Scully. He is by far one of the greatest voices of baseball. Do you have any favorite Vin Scully moments you can share with us? Thanks and go Braves. And that's from Tim. And by the way, uh, when we met Tim, big Pirates fan, and not asking him to give up his Pirate allegiance, Mm -hmm. but he kind of has another team too. And and I'm glad that he – uh, was able to show us around and start to follow the Braves because of our meeting him and and uh, the time that we got to share together. So it was a lot of fun to meet Tim and had a blast there in Arlington that day. Great morning. Mm-hmm. One, I was just talking about it with somebody uh, back in Georgia today about what a, a wonderful morning it was thanks to Tim and uh, Dan, who also was a part of it. So uh, we still appreciate that and talk about it. Uh, my Vin Scully story is really kind of um I, I don't know it's it's personal to me and i'm not i don't know how to put this without it sounding um 
self-complimentary. I don't mean it that way. I made a play in left field at Dodger Stadium, and I took a home run from away from a guy. Well, is this the play that you have the picture? I have a picture. You showed it to us one yeah, time. Yeah, I have the picture. A guy that was in the first base Camerwell told me the next day, he says, you know what? I may have that. I may have taken that picture. I may have gotten it. I took a picture. I don't know if it's in focus or not. Sure enough, it was. It was a, a great shot he uh-huh. got. But I went up over the bullpen gate, caught a ball, and brought it back. I have that call from Vin. Do you really? Of that play. And I've got it on my computer at home. And if I had it here, I'd play it for you. What but year was that? I don't know. 77, maybe. Okay. Um, it was a game in which the Braves were just clobbering the Padres, and they had wholesale defensive changes, you know, late in the ball game. And Ben was going through those, and then you can actually hear the crack of the bat in the background as he's finishing up those descriptions. And then he started, you know, it was a long drive. <laughs> anyway, it, it's one of the special, my most special things uh, that I held on to and collected. And uh, it's even more special now, of course, but um, – that means a lot to me. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I, I got to meet him twice, but the first time was the most special time. 2013 postseason, we're playing the Dodgers in the division series, and he was sent on the trip. He was doing, I guess, radio mm-hmm. uh, because he wouldn't have been doing TV there for the postseason game. And Don wanted to make sure that I got to meet him, so Don takes me from the Braves radio booth into the Dodger booth. This is obviously several, several hours before the game. And I didn't feel like I was going in to meet the Lord, but maybe the maybe one down, maybe one of his mm-hmm. lead angels or something like yes. that. It was yeah. this aura around him, thinking like, my gosh, like here's Vin Scully, and all I could think of was the link that he is to so many previous eras of our game uh-huh. and i think about him calling games with red barber and connie desmond at ebbets field right and um calling you know uh jackie robinson's games things like that. that that just blew my mind the link that he was to previous eras of our game and i can guarantee you i mean of course it was postseason so he naturally would be in coat and tie i don't know that i ever saw vin at the ballpark where he was not dressed impeccably coat and tie and maybe in spring training at at dodger town yeah he might have on a um a golf shirt with a but with a sport coat on and no matter what the temperature no matter what the conditions he was always dressed to the nines which i think goes along with the his reputation of being a gentleman yeah you know friendly nice Always with a smile on his face, as I'm sure you experience. Yeah, great uh, ambassador for the game. Obviously, the voice of the Dodgers, but the voice of baseball, really, uh, yeah. for a long time, and probably the best who's ever done this, in in my opinion. Um, JC or, or Joe, you guys got a question? Because uh, we kind of have the, all the questions on my iPad here. I, I've just got a nom. Uh, it's like a, a comment. We were talking last night about the pitch calm voice. Yeah. You know, remember, you know, who, wouldn't you like to have somebody do it just for you? This is from Todd Egger. He doesn't say where he's from, but he said, for the pitchcom voice, give me Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> and for the curveball. Drop the hook. Hit me with the hook, player. player. <laughs> <laughs> that is really Here's good. Here's what would be great. That is great. If the pitcher shakes off multiple signs, uh-huh. then just play the part of that Snoop Dogg commercial where he goes, whatever it is, you do you, player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. That is an excellent one, Todd. <laughs>
Uh, let's see. Uh, hey, Joe, Ben, and Jay Chad. Joe, I recently stumbled upon the Game 6 radio call, the 1995 World Series. Don and Pete did the first half, and you and Skip did the second half. Since the game was not carried on TBS, where were Don and Pete during the second half of the game? Were they in the booth with you guys, or did they have to go and sit out in the crowd and experience? How did you guys celebrate afterwards? Absolutely love the podcast. That's Will from Clinton, North Carolina. Uh, that's an easy one, Will. Uh, during the first half of the game when Pete and Don were working uh, at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, we had kind of a two-tiered um, elevation to the booth. So right behind the guys who were working was another counter that was elevated up. And we were able to sit up there and do our scorebook and watch the game. And then we traded places with um, – Skip and I traded places with Pete and Don in the middle of the fifth inning. So that's how that worked. Uh, there were celebrations, of course. Um, you know what? That was wild, and it was um, a wonderful thing for the city of Atlanta. But I don't know if it was as wild in the booth as when sl Sid slid. Yeah. Stadium was shaking. Atlanta Fulton Stadium was shaking, and we had a booth full of people, uh, wives, kids, everybody. And there was there were tears and screaming and hollering and it was wild in there when Sid slid. I bet I remember that, and um, that's the only thing that compares to the call in '95. So did you guys do that for every game, or mm -hmm. if the game if if the series had gone to Game Seven, would you have started the next night? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, we switched off on that. I see. Whoever finished the night before starts the next day. Okay. And and so on. It, it alternated back and forth so that. Uh, everybody had a chance to call, you know, the ninth inning. Right. And uh, it just so happened that in the ninth inning of the game against the Pirates, Skip and I were on the call, and it just coincidence that he and I were on the call when Marquise made the catch. He had a 50-50. Yeah, it was. It was just coincidence. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to tell you guys how much I appreciate your efforts each night. Every single one of you, the broadcast is such a great listen. It's entertaining and very much fun. I'm certain there's not a better broadcast in baseball from start to finish. My only regret is that Ben and Joe weren't paired together 20 years ago. We appreciate that, Josh. But if that were the case, we would have missed out on what you just talked about. Yeah, so right. get to enjoy uh, multiple guys for multiple generations. Right. And those are some of my heroes that you just mentioned, Joe. Well, it's all, it's all fun. It's, it's all been a great ride with all of those guys. It was um, – uh, it was fun for me to start with a guy like Dave Niehaus in Seattle who's uh, in the Hall of Fame. And I can't begin to tell you the similarities and how fortunate I was that the similarities between Dave Niehaus and Skip Carey were like they were like clones. Yeah. So that was an easy transition for me. But uh, uh, just, just suffice to say that we had a great time. Yeah. We did. Definitely. Either you guys got one else, uh, another one you want to throw in there? Am I the only one with, with, with the questions in front of me? I have some in front of me. Okay. Uh, here's one. Um, uh, I'm excited to watch Von Grissom play, but what a bummer for Orlando Arcia. What will Von bring to the table? Also, is there a better venue to make your MLB debut? That's from Kevin. No. <laughs> no, it's awesome. May, if, maybe Yankee Stadium, uh, but not uh, because it's a new Yankee Stadium. It doesn't have quite the prestige or the excitement that Fenway does. Uh, I I can't imagine a better place to to break in for any player 
than Fenway Park. You never forget it, and neither will your family or friends. Uh, the scouting report we have on Von Grissom, I'll start with what we saw in spring training. Uh, you guys saw him, you know, half a dozen games or so, and he would go on trips and get in for uh, a late inning or an at-bat, sometimes maybe start a game. He's a big guy. He's 6'3". He's about 205, 210. He runs well, and yet he's a shortstop, at least for now. Uh, this season he's played mostly shortstop, but a handful of games at second base, so it's not going to be totally foreign to him tonight. And uh, all the scouting reports I've gotten from people, some from outside the organization, is that this guy's a player, and he plays hard. He's prone to some... Um, uh, reckless mistakes at times, but that's a 21-year-old trying, trying perhaps to do a little too much. Hopefully he won't feel the need to do that here. Mm-hmm. The thing that Von Grissom has going for him more than any other coming into this is Ron Washington. Yeah. To me. that That's going to be such a wonderful, steadying uh, influence for Vaughn that uh, he will always appreciate. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he can improve so much just by being around Wash. And, and the second he got here, Wash grabbed him. They're on the field. They're doing drills. Good. And uh, that was fun to see. A-Day was sitting there um, just watching. Snit was there watching. And, uh, man, I just think about how, how, how quick of a change that is for Vaughn going from double-A to here. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I don't know if there's a better ballpark to make your major league debut. You're making your major league debut the same place, the same field that Babe Ruth made his major league debut. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. That is awesome. So yeah, I don't know how you top that. And no. uh, very, very excited for him. This is a, a good question that came from Chip. Uh, Chip Hendricks, he says, who depend, who determines which uniform the home team will wear that night? Does the manager choose or does the starting pitcher uh, does the team take a vote? That's from Chip. It's usually the starting pitcher, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's the starting pitcher. At least it was um, in the last year or so. Starting pitcher got to pick. And many times, like when they were on the 14-game winning streak, uh, on the road especially, they were sticking with whatever was working. In that case, it was the gray uniform. Yeah. Uh, and then when they lost, I think they bounced back to the Navy. So I think it's a starting pitcher choice. Sometimes a starting pitcher can veto a uniform. Sometimes he'll take scissors to them, like Chris Sale did a yes. few years ago. Remember that? Yeah, I do. I got one here from Vaughn from New Zealand. We're thrilled, Vaughn, that you connected with us. And he says, since you guys are in Boston, I wanted to know if JTED's <laughs> pens are, are accounted for. His P-E-N-S, his pens. <laughs> Anybody snuck in, J.C.? Uh, the pens are accounted for, but um, yesterday I left the booth for probably half an hour to go uh, see a family friend that was at the game. I came back, and my workstation was completely trashed. It was messed up. Things were everywhere. Everything was out of place. You guys know how I like things in place. Yeah, I've heard. So there was a note that said, uh, J. Chad, sorry, but Red Sox cleaning crew messed up your space, Sam K. Well, um, if you guys know Sam K., let him know I'm looking for him. Sam K. is the president of the Red Sox, (laughs) if that helps you, and if you want to go find him. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he he unleashed a, a, uh, a, a pterodactyl in here earlier. When I got here today, 
There was a dragonfly. I'm not kidding you. The the size of a shoebox. Is that right? And he was trapped <laughs> up in here. And Jay Chad and I were. I grabbed a pole and we finally got him out of here. But maybe he maybe he's finding different ways to terrorize you up there, JC. But uh, to answer the question, yes, all my pens are accounted for. Um, you know, we'll resume uh, that. Um, when we get back down to Fort Myers in spring training. Yeah, because that's not the same PA guy down there that they have here. That's no. A, the PA guy who stole your pin at spring training, he's just down there in Fort Myers for spring training. He doesn't come back up here and do the PA for the Red Sox. I think he was on work release. Probably I'm so. I'm not sure. Yeah, he was kind of a – had sticky fingers. Um, we're going to – on this question from Tom, and it's a good one, I'm going to eliminate – Jay Chad, because he's got a very grueling, tough job on the road, getting everything set up and moved into the booth for especially the first game of the series. So uh, that goes without saying. But Tom wants to know of all the people that travel with the team, who has the most grueling job? That's easy for me. And okay. I, I wouldn't say it's me. Mine can be tough at times, but it's uh, the equipment managers, uh, the traveling secretary. Uh, people that are basically there to do for others constantly. That's that's well said. I'm going to go Nate Leet because he's got to go rub on 26 dudes every <laughs> single day. <laughs> he's the masseuse for the team. So yeah. he's, he's got to be there whenever they need him to go and rub them down top to bottom. You shake hands with Nate, or if you just give him a fist bump, you're going to pay. It's like grabbing a, a bunch of bananas. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it truly is. But I'll agree with, with Jay Chad. Uh, the equipment guys, uh, on, for example, on this trip, it's uh, Fred Stone and Eric and, Durbin. And Eric Durbin. Um, they, it's yeoman's work, man, and they put in a lot of hours making sure everything gets where it's supposed to be. So I think we all are in agreement with that. Yeah. Hey, guys, longtime listener here from South Georgia. We love you guys down here. Uh, with replay being a big part of the game now, we really don't get to see a lot of manager ejections and certainly not many of uh, the animated ones like uh, Bobby Cox used to be involved in. As a fan of the game, do you miss those? Yes, we all want to see the correct call, but, man, I used to enjoy seeing Bobby getting in the ear of uh, Joe's favorite, C.B. Buckner or Bill Hahn. Or speaking of Bill Hahn, that was here, the Braves, and mm-hmm. uh, that incident with Chipper and, yeah. and all that. That was here. Uh, Tim McClellan or any other umpires after a blown call. That's from Brad in Ashburn, Georgia. Brad, I definitely missed that. I, I thought that was a fun part of our game and – uh, I'm all for getting the call right as well, but a byproduct of that is is fewer um, uh, ejections and, and fewer arguments with managers and uh, and umpires. It, it really kind of became a, an art there for some guys, didn't it? I, I always I miss that a lot. Um, there are some guys that have been ejected recently. I remember I know Rocco Baldelli kind of lost it the other day uh, for the Twins and got thrown out. Uh, Manager, managers will come to the rescue of their hitters sometimes and get thrown out arguing balls and strikes, but nothing like what we used to experience, especially with Bobby, who was so protective of his club. I miss those days, too. Um, you know, the, the thing with replay, uh, there's another question here about replay and things getting overturned or not overturned. I, I think it's too sterile sometimes. You know, it's like... Um, I know they w- we want to get it right, and I'm all for that, especially on boundary calls and home runs. I want those right. Yeah. Some of the other stuff I, I kind of want to leave in the hands of the umpire, the imperfections of it, and live with it. I, I don't want to question every time those guys make a call. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, it's just I, I still think we're missing an opportunity for managers to still go out there and give it to an umpire on a strike zone. Now, you're not going to get it a, a change in a call, but if a manager wanted to fire his team up or get something going, you pick the right time, you go out there and give it to an umpire when you just had enough, like we saw the other day with CB. Well, I, I think there were a lot of people – uh, it's it's come to our attention that when Buck Showalter came out to pitch a fit about that play in the bottom of the first inning where Nemo laid down, really wasn't tagged, but they get the out at first. For you folks that were watching, you know what I'm talking about. But Buck continued to argue, and it took a long time for it to be resolved, no matter how much Jeff Nelson explained it to him. And yeah. a lot of people thought that maybe Buck was doing that to rattle Spencer Strider. Yeah. That it was directed 100% toward getting him off his game, making him wait, making everything be delayed before Spencer could resume. And maybe there was something to that. But in, in such cases that, uh, yeah, I'm all for for uh, Brian to come out and say, let's go. Yeah. Now knock it off. Uh-huh. Let's play. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I like this one. This says, hey, y'all, just want to say how much I enjoy and appreciate listening to your broadcasts and podcasts. Second to none, my question was this. Was there ever a rematch in New York between Frenchie and J-Chad in the subway car and the hanging contest? If so, how did it go? Now, to reset that, when we were in New York in May. April. Was that was in April? Yeah. Okay, whatever it was. We're on the way back, and we're on the uh, the subway car. And, of course, they have those railings you can reach up and hold on to. We, we decided that two people needed to square off and see who could hang with their feet off the ground the longest. So, Jay Chad went for, what, about 30 seconds or no, so? No, no. The goal was to get to 30 seconds. I think I got like 12 or 15 seconds. Okay. But it was – remember, though – it was when the car was jerking around and going around yeah. the corner, and yeah. Frenchie was just basically while we were stopped, not yeah, right. in motion. Frenchie had a, a very smooth portion of the track right. if we were moving at all. Yeah. He hung for a minute. So we, we said, okay, there's going to be a rematch. Well, when we were there earlier in the year, it was, a, I think, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series. So there weren't near as many people at the ballpark. When we got on the train, this was after a sellout crowd, after game one, you could barely breathe. So there was no way you could have that contest because the train was slammed with people. It was it was one of the most miserable 40 minutes or whatever the length of time is for that Express 7 train to get back to Manhattan. It was one of the most miserable 40 minutes I can remember. Yeah. Uh, I had my backpack down between my feet, and I thought, you know what? might be a good idea to put a mask on uh, because of the, pr- the close proximity. Folks, I couldn't even bend over i couldn't find the room to bend over or squat down to get my backpack and get a mask out that's how sardined we were into that place yeah. it was horrible I mean, it was like rush hour in new delhi yeah slam it was horrible it was it was really bad jeff chickened out uh he didn't take, he the, didn't train. take the train no was. he didn't even take yeah. the train so big weenie um, stay tuned until april i'm sure we'll probably go back to new york in april if if not then probably may 
we will at some point have a rematch. <laughs> um, but, yes, that train ride was horrible. There were people that were trying to shove themselves in the car that I was at, and I was right at the door. And I had to tell, like, seven people, I'm not moving. <laughs> You're going to have to wait for the next one because I'm not moving. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was something else. I've got one here from uh, Ryan Hall. Uh, he wants to know, in New York, it seemed to me like Ronald got his swagger back and started hitting again. From my untrained eyes, it appears like he started losing his swagger when Albies went down, and it's well known that they're quite close. When a close teammate goes down with an injury, gets traded, or leaves by a free agency, etc., can that get in your head, kill your confidence on the field? Do you have any examples from your playing days? Uh, I'd rather just stick with those guys. I, I, I could probably come up with some and some guys I was really close to that I played with. But I do feel like Ron's got his swagger back. I really felt it after last night's game when he had three hits and that incredible slide at home plate where he jumped in the air about 15 feet. Um, I just feel like when he wasn't going well, when he wasn't hitting, he got a little pouty face on him. You know, he just kind of feeling sorry for himself a little bit. And the other side of this, and this is personal opinion only, is that Michael Harris has been playing great, stealing some of his thunder. Might have been a little bit of jealousy about, you know, all the attention that Michael was getting. I don't know that to be true. I'm just telling you my observation. So I think if you couple all that with the fact that he wasn't hitting well, Ozzy's gone, he didn't have Ozzy in the dugout to slap him around and say, you know, snap out of it, let's go. There's definite... There's a definite connection there that um, Ronald was missing. Yeah, I think so, too. And it was great to see him surge back the way that he did in New York. And what he did last night was awesome. I mean, that, that slide yeah. was – that was amazing. I'd have to say is when it comes to Ozzy, though, and him not being around for, I guess, Ronald to feed off of, look, these are professional athletes. And, you know, sure, they're normal human beings just like you and me and everyone else. Uh, and, you know, maybe – they could be affected by that, but I think at the end of the day, this is a job for them. They have to, to, to put that aside and move on, and, you know, if your best buddy's not here, you still got a job to do. Well, I And being a professional athlete, I hope, I guess what I'm saying, my opinion is, I hope that that would not affect someone. Well, me too. Uh, you, you'd like to think that. But uh, I'll give you a really good example. You know, when um, when I left Seattle, you know, that team almost fell apart. <laughs> They went from losing. They crumbled. They went from losing like ninety-five games to losing ninety-eight. <laughs> so it was quite a quite a shock to the team. I mean, the, your wins above replacement. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a time for a couple more. This is from Brian. He says, "How much longer can the Braves keep penciling in Marcelo Zuna's name into the lineup?" And it's been a struggle for him. Really has. It's been horrible, and and I feel. Uh, I almost feel sorry for Marcel because he looks so bad at the plate. And what's what's worse, um, and I want you or Jay Chad one last night, Ben, said between innings it looked like Marcel was already ready to swing no matter where the pitch was going to be. And that's what it appears, yeah. that, that he's just, uh, as soon as he sees the ball out of the hand, he's swinging at it and chasing bad balls. Uh, but keep in mind, Marcel is signed for the rest of this year, for 2023. And 2024, he is signed, sealed, and delivered, and they got to try and get him right. Yeah, good, good point. 
Um, let's finish with this one. It seems like two days in Boston is too short. Would you like to play three or four games there? That's from Dan. These days, yes, because Boston's team is not <laughs> yeah. not quite what it was even last year. Um, but, yeah, there's not enough time to do what you want to do in the city. This is such a great American city. I love it. I love coming here. We already talked about the ballpark and what it means. We were walking out last night uh, to walk back to the hotel, which is in close proximity, and that was nice. I've never been able to do that before. But I said to you, Ben, there is such a different vibe mm. when you're walking out of the stadium with this crowd than it is in New York. Yeah. And it, it is just great. I can tell you this much. If I worked here, I would live within walking distance and walk to and from the ballpark. I mean, it, it, it would be a no-brainer for me. Um, and, and just our hotel is pretty close where we can walk to the hotel. We did that last night after the game. And didn't it feel like we were – going back in time mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're leaving the ballpark you're walking back to the hotel it's mm-hmm. just a couple of blocks away and everybody's talking about the game everybody's talking about the game mm-hmm. this morning it's a true story i get up this morning around 9 45 and i go to get breakfast at tate uh-huh. that's become my place mm-hmm. you know how i pass on the street today this is no. one block from the ballpark kevin euclid oh my darn passed him huh. and he's walking down the street with a bag of food ball cap on i guess he lives close i don't know well, there he was. Yeah. For anybody to go and say hello and pick a conversation with. I thought that was so cool, and it just feels like such a throwback to how things used to be 100 years ago. And, so. these, and these fans in this town love their heroes. They they yeah. never they never stop loving their players. It's just nice here, though. Like, you don't have the – it's it's a big city, don't get me wrong, but you don't have the hustle and bustle of New York. A lot of things in New York are a major inconvenience, whether it's getting to the ballpark, getting home from the ballpark – you don't have that here. And as far as the fans go, the fans in New York aren't used to what's going on, meaning the winning. Uh, and so um, they hadn't quite figured out how to handle some of that yet. I got to tell you that uh, the last year I was with Seattle, 82, I think, um, I was playing center field here, and these those fans above the wall in center field can be ruthless. And I just had to try to figure out some way to try to win them over. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, they started chanting some stuff at me, and then I started trying to play like a conductor, you know, chanting and yeah. going with the beat. And all of a sudden, they're talking to me, and they're not yelling and cussing me. They're talking to me. And before long, they're inviting me to meet them at a pub, and they wanted to buy me a, a beer and all of that kind of stuff. The next day, some guy had printed off the words to the song Oklahoma. Really? And they started serenading me when I was in center field and singing <laughs> Oklahoma. That's so creative. It was it was wonderful. I mean, I, I actually had some fans here, and I had on the wrong uniform. I come back the next year with Kansas City, and I'm not playing. I'm in the dugout. And all of a sudden, I hear them singing Oklahoma in the center field stands, and they were doing it again. So... That ain't going to happen in New York either. Great fans. Great fans. And they love the game, and mm-hmm. they appreciate the talent of what it takes to get down there, no matter whose uniform that you're wearing. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And now, that walk between the dugout and home plate is a long one here, longer yeah. than probably anywhere in baseball. Not everybody's like those fans in center field. You can hear about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it's fun to come here, and I'm glad we got to do a podcast here. Me too. It's a lot of fun. Special. And uh, our next pod, uh, podcast, I'm sure, will be when we're back at home. we got that series with the Mets when we get back. 
Uh, and then a series with the Astros, that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a tough homestand with those teams coming in. But that'll be our next podcast. And uh, in the meantime, if you have any questions that cross your mind that you'd like for us to read and answer on our next podcast, you don't have to wait till next week. You can fire away right now. Braves booth at gmail.com. We'll get to that, and it'll be on our next episode. But that'll wrap things up for us. Tune in tonight. Braves and the Red Sox tonight and the final game of this series from Fenway. For Joe, for Jay Chad, I'm Ben. This has been Inside the Braves booth.